Well, so far, Oregon has passed every test that has been put in front of them. The toughest are yet to come. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. So if you have not already, like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app. Use code Locked On College for $20 off your first purchase when you create an account. So, Oregon has won convincingly against Colorado in dominant fashion, some would say, many would say, I would say, everyone would say. Dominant against Hawaii, dominant against Portland State, good enough against Texas Tech. Won a game in which they didn't win, or in which they didn't play their best brand of football. So, so far, when you look at what Oregon has had to do, go on the road and beat a Power 5 team. Check the box. Look dominant, leave no doubt, against two opponents that are inferior and in inferior conferences. Portland State, FCS, Hawaii, Mountain West. Check. Colorado, you're a big favorite. Power 5 team. Derail the hype train. Make everything look the way it kind of did the weeks prior. Check, check. That's a double check because they held Colorado scoreless in the first half. Portland State scored on the first drive. Colorado did not, did not score in the first half. They did not score in Oregon's starter. So, so far, we've seen the defense look better. The offenses look great. I think Will Stein had a great game on Saturday and has done well overall this season. We've seen new players get incorporated. The defense looks faster. They're more physical up front. Everything about the Ducks so far makes us think, hey, a lot of our positive preseason suspicions were correct. So, so far, the tests that they have been given, they've passed. And they won't have too much of a test this week against Stanford. That's an even bigger line, and Oregon is on the road. They're currently a 27-point favorite. The Cardinal are in rebuild mode. That's just where they are at right now. Uh, we we know to never take Stanford lightly, even when they're down. Th- this game shouldn't be a problem, and I don't have too many concerns about that. But the biggest tests for Oregon are still to come. And, you know, one barometer that I've been thinking about for just how good this Oregon team can be in 2023 has been the Texas Tech game, because that's a game where Oregon easily could have lost. I won't say should have. They won the football game, but they easily could have lost because of their sloppy play, particularly with the penalties. But the defense forced turnovers, the defense made plays, the offense was timely, Camden Lewis is a beast. Everything about that came to fruition. So Oregon kind of passed that test. And Texas Tech lost over the weekend to West Virginia, 20 to 13. Now, what some could look at is, hey, is Oregon actually not as good as we think? Because Colorado was overrated. Yeah, we know that Colorado was uh, was overhyped. The Ducks were a 21-point favorite for a reason. USC's a 22-point favorite in Boulder this weekend. There's, there, there's a reason for all of that. But Texas Tech, hey, is that still a sign where or a place where Oregon should be concerned? Because Texas Tech is 1-3. They haven't beaten a Power 5 opponent yet. They're 0-2 they're against Power 5 opponents. Oregon and then West Virginia. My answer is no, because the quarterback situation has unfortunately had to undergo a change. Tyler Shuck got hurt. The new guy on Saturday went 13 of 36 passing. It's not, it's not, it's not great. That's not, that's not very good. So 
I think that Texas Tech is still a solid game, but indicative of something I talked about on yesterday's show, which is with the biggest tests still to come, I think Oregon can still play a better brand of football, though Saturday was pretty close to their best. Saturday is about as well as Oregon could have played in the football game because you looked at what the offense did. They scored on six of their first seven drives. Yeah, you can't do much better than that. And they were all touchdowns, by the way. They also would have scored if the game had still been in in question because they would have kicked the field goal on one of those drives. So, uh, well, you had the interception, I guess, was, was one of those. But Oregon moved the ball at will. They ran it. They could throw it, used a bunch of different weapons. They weren't behind the chains. Bo Nix wasn't pressured a lot. Everything went the way that you would want it to. Defensively, talked about this on yesterday's show, could not have been any better. So every test they've been given so far, they have passed. Not always with flying colors, but they certainly did on Saturday against Colorado. Still, even with the Buffs' improvement, that was not the best team Oregon is going to play this year. Far from it. In fact, I still don't think... With Colorado's improvement, knowing what we knew about them going into the game, I still would have had it as the sixth hardest game. Tougher than it would have otherwise been, but I still would have put it behind Texas Tech because we were at home versus Texas Tech being on the road. They're not as good of a football team, I don't think, as Oregon State, and they're certainly not as good as Oregon's three toughest games, which still remain. So it's encouraging that the tests Oregon has passed so far, they have looked good in doing so. And they have improved in areas. I talked about this with Kyrie Jackson on yesterday's show. They've improved in areas where it looked like they might struggle against Texas Tech. The penalties are still something to clean up. But goodness gracious, they're not nearly as bad as they were a couple weeks ago. But in 124 penalty yards, there are still moments where you look and go, okay, you got to be able to clean that up. But Oregon looks to me like a team that is playing well enough to win, playing well enough to win comfortably, playing well on both sides of the ball. And is also getting better each week. And that's what you have to do. And that's what we should be looking for going into Stanford this week. Because Oregon has still got its three toughest games remaining. I, I said before the year at Utah would be their toughest game. We don't know what Cam Rising is going to do. I, I mean, he is going to play every week and then he doesn't play. And I, I, I just think that's, we don't know. We, we don't know. But either way, Utah is going to be a difficult team because their defense is so darn good. But Washington looks like Oregon's toughest game. Washington through four weeks looks every bit the offensive juggernaut that they were last year. And you talk about, you know, a real test for the defense. Make no mistake about it. This Colorado offense was a step up from the offenses Oregon had seen in previous weeks. It's the best quarterback they've seen this year, and he's got some good receivers. But they don't have as good of an offensive line as Washington. And the Huskies have maybe the best receiving core in the country. Like Adunze, McMillan, Polk. Those guys are big-time players. And Oregon's secondary to this point, especially on Saturday, has looked the way, for the most part, I'd want them to, to feel confident enough going into that game. But they've continued to level up week after week, and the leveling up is going to have to continue because the tests are just going to get tougher and tougher and tougher. And that Washington game, um, I, I don't know how that isn't going to be college game day. I, I, I really, really don't because... The slate that week has got one other big game, you know, as it looks right now. Things can always change, of course, in college football. It's USC at Notre Dame, but college game day was just at Notre Dame. I don't think they go back there. And Oregon and Washington are both going to be undefeated going into that game. They're both going to be coming off a bye. It's the border war. You've got two Heisman-capable quarterbacks. You've got big-time programs. I mean, I, I just... 
I don't know what else you're looking for for college game day. They, like, it it should be it should be game day in uh, in in Seattle come week seven after the bye. That's that's where we should most definitely be. So I, I think that Washington, Utah, and then USC at home. I have USC third because it's at home, and I like Oregon a lot at Autzen Stadium. And USC didn't like they've they've had their moments where they've looked really really good, but they have not impressed me as much as Washington and uh, and Utah have on today's Locked On Pac-12. I did power rankings of the conference. You can go check those out over there uh, based on what we've seen. But USC is still very much a contender, still a very good team. They have a great coach, great weapons, great quarterback. Of course, if you have those things, you, you can accomplish a lot in college football. And their offensive line is certainly better than what uh, th- than what Colorado had. But USC's defense, eh, still a little suspect. Uh, my Thunderbirds of Southern Utah held Arizona State to fewer points than USC did. It's a true thing that happened. They played the same team. Uh, different quarterbacks, but same team. So I think that Oregon has still got a lot of challenges ahead, and they have to continue to up their game. But right now, it's hard to not feel really good about the way Oregon's playing. I mean, uh, across the board, great teams are able to play their B-minus game and still win. That's what we did against Texas Tech, and it has been an A performance or better or A-plus, depending on which week you're talking about. But really, they've all looked like A-plus performances in the other three weeks. So I like where the Ducks are at. How do you feel right now? Let me know in the YouTube comments or Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. You can also join the Locked on Ducks subtext community. Talk with me one-on-one. Get priority mailbag questions, which will come later today in the show. Individual standouts. Boy, there were a lot of them. There, there were a lot of them. I mean, everybody stood out at some level. The whole team stood out, but some guys really took it up a notch. Kind of like how game time reduces your stress buying tickets. They take it up a notch in that event. Look, you shouldn't have to worry when you're buying tickets to your next big game, concert, show, whatever it is. And game time takes that away. It's the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you with killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee. Game time takes the guesswork out of buying Tickets. Game Time is the only ticketing app that gives you peace of mind with your purchase. They're obsessed with finding ways to help you save money on tickets. So take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code Locked On College for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code Locked On College. L O C K E D O N C O L L E G E is how you spell it for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Second segment sips, also guaranteed to be effective. I like doing this on Tuesday shows because Monday shows, kind of the big takeaways, big picture reactions and everything like that. Saturday, uh, you know, I've introduced the live reaction shows. You all seem to be enjoying those, which, hey, that's fantastic. Glad you all are. And thank you so much for listening to or watching the show as a general note. But on Tuesdays, we like to look at individuals who stood out in a big way for the Ducks. And there were there were four. 
There were four to me, and you could go in a number of different directions here if you had to pick three or four of your top standouts. Again, YouTube comments. Let me know. I'm always curious as to what you all think. You have some great, great insights, and I love talking with everybody. So individual standouts. Number one, Kyrie Jackson is number one, right? Like Bo Nix played awesome. The running backs were great. I've got one of them here in the top four. A lot of players on the defensive line were fantastic too. I, I mean, all of that is true. But Kyrie Jackson was the biggest standout, right? I mean, coming into this year, the secondary had plenty of questions, including who's going to play the most. And so far, the top two corners have been Kyrie Jackson and Jalil Florence. And Triquez Bridges doesn't have as big of a role as he did in uh, 2022. And Dante Manning doesn't seem to have quite as big of a role. They're still a part of the defense. I still feel good having them there because if one of these top two guys goes down, I like knowing you have experienced, talented guys who you know are capable of playing at at a solid level for the Ducks. But Florence, I mean, he didn't stand out as much because they're just not throwing his way, which is awesome. Because uh, I loved Jalil Florence last year. I was on board the hype train all offseason. He looks good. But Kyrie Jackson, the jump from the lack of ball skills put on display in one particular moment against Texas Tech to what we saw on Saturday. I mean, he, he's got the physical traits. He's a great tackler. And when he is swatting passes away like that, I mean, he was he was towing the line as well of being physical without committing a penalty. He did not have a flag thrown against him on Saturday, and he was targeted plenty. I mean, Shador Sanders wasn't looking Jalil Florence's way. That leaves the other half of the field. That's where Kyrie Jackson was. And Oregon, in a number of instances, was putting him on an island and saying, go cover one-on-one. Go cover Jimmy Horn. Go cover Xavier Weaver, who are good wide receivers. And Kyrie Jackson just put the clamps on him. He very nearly had an interception. He had three pass breakups. He had a couple tackles as well. I, I just, everything about him made me think he's Oregon's best corner right now. Jalil Florence has got a case too because they're just not throwing his way. But I feel good about those two guys. And, and much like the Oregon team in general, the biggest tests are yet to come. But so far what we've seen, that's a passing grade and then some. I mean, that was an A-plus performance. He, he, was remind, he was giving me flashbacks to Christian Gonzalez last year, which is a good thing. That's what he looked like. The way he was swatting the ball away, the way he was in position, the speed, the physicality. I think he's not quite as fast as Gonzo and is a little bit more physical, but I think that those two guys, their their length are assets to them, and we have seen that, and Kyrie Jackson had an awesome, awesome game. Credit to him and the coaching staff for identifying what was clearly a weakness earlier in the year and moving forward and, uh, and, and getting better in that sense. Props, props, props across the board. Here's another standout. This isn't a flashy one. This isn't, this isn't one that shows up on a box score. This isn't one that you look at uh, when you watch the game and go, man, he's having a great game because he's along the offensive line. But Jackson Powers Johnson at center, you know, I, I've long had a saying that stats are a starting point, not an end point. They can be indicative, though not entirely telling. In this instance, I am fully on board with the statistics on Jackson Powers Johnson. So PFF grades, you know, every player, every position and, and whatnot. And plenty of Oregon players look good in the eyes of the pro football focus world. Jackson Powers Johnson right now is grading as the number two center in the country. Now he was the highest graded returning interior offensive lineman in the land. But there is a big difference playing center versus playing guard. I have not seen a bad snap. 
I think the continuity issues that took place against Texas Tech have certainly improved. Now, Oregon's been at home the last couple of weeks, so we'll see what happens when they're on the road against Stanford this week. But I've not seen bad snaps. I think the penalties have improved. The run blocking was exceptional. And if you go watch some of those big runs, JPJ is often making a block to spring guys free. And the transition, for him to be the highest graded guard on PFF last year to now being the second highest graded center in the country, that's ridiculous talent. And he is having an awesome season. And, you know, I just asked the question before the year, is that transition going to have some hiccups? I think we saw those a bit against Texas Tech, right? Not everyone was on the same page. The cadence was off. They were, you know, getting messed up by the stems from the Texas Tech defensive front. But overall, this offensive line and pass protection is dominant. They looked how they should against a weak run defense in in Colorado on Saturday. That'll be another thing that I think is a major test come Washington time is how are they going to be able to run the football against the strength of the Huskies defense, which is the front four. They got a couple of dudes up there. Zion Tupola, Fatui, and Braylon Trice. Those are really, really good football players. So that'll be their kind of big test in that individual matchup. But so far, I, I think JPJ has been awesome. He's been making pancake blocks. He's He's got everybody working in order. I, I just, I, I continue to be impressed with him and what he has done for, for this football team. Two more. These are both on the offensive side of the ball. Let's start with Troy Franklin. What can't the guy do? I, I mean, his his NFL draft stock can't be going anywhere but up, 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 up as the weeks go by. Now, would it be more impressive if he'd had over 120 yards and two scores against uh, Travis Hunter? Sure. And it probably would have been a, a, a tad tougher. But he is such a bona fide number one wide receiver. And he continues to show that week after week after week. And he has been that now for the last two seasons. And, you know, as a true freshman, he came in highly rated recruit. He was a contributor, but not a leader in the receiving core. Ever since last year, this has felt like his unit. He's been the leader. He's been the go-to. And he just continues to make plays. That's all he does. He just, he, he shows up. He makes plays. That's it. It's pretty simple. I mean, his get off at the line of scrimmage is outstanding. His speed, his hands, making contested catches, I think is something that he is kind of underrated at because he's made some really, really great grabs over the last couple of years. That's one of the best receivers in the Pac-12, one of the 10 best in the country for my money. And, you know, we got to enjoy him while we've got him because I think he's off to the NFL after the season and deservedly so. But I mean, week after week, he makes the easy plays. He makes the hard plays. He's got the whole route tree, you know, at, at his disposal. He, he's not a one-trick pony. He has become such a well-rounded receiver. And he is Bo's go-to guy. And I don't think Oregon has had a quarterback-receiver dynamic like that since Justin Herbert, Dylan Mitchell in 2018. And the awesome part for us as Duck fans is back then, you know, on third down, it was Dylan Mitchell's getting open or Oregon's not going to move the chains. This receiving core is stacked. They are loaded. They are talented. They've been productive all season long, and I expect them to continue doing as much. And Troy Franklin is the clear number one guy, but he is not the only guy they've got in in that room. And he's just he's just everywhere. He's just making plays and producing. Uh, my last standout, Jordan James, who I thought last year and said many times coming into the season – I think he's capable of being more than just a short yardage back. Well, he's shown through four games. Number one, that is absolutely true. Number two, 
he's a good football player. And number three, we're going to need him for a couple weeks because we don't know how long Noah Whittington's going to be out. He certainly is not playing against Stanford. I don't think we need Noah Whittington against Stanford, but every time I watch Jordan James run, it seems like he's adding a new element to his game, right? The initial Jordan James experience was he's just going to run downhill, smash into somebody. Okay, great. Well, now he's showing he's got a little more lateral movement. Now he's showing a burst. Now he's showing the stiff arm. He's showing a great array of moves to make guys miss at the second level. And I I just continue to be really, really happy and impressed with the running back room that Carlos Lachlan has put together because that is... That is a group that is deep, that is talented, and there's just there's no drop off. Like all those guys are different, but I I just don't see a drop off when they're, you know, going from one guy to the next. And that's a that's a real luxury and a good thing for a team that wants to be able to run the football. And Oregon showed that they're capable of doing that. They will face better defensive fronts this year, to be sure. Colorado's been pretty bad against the run, but that's how a, a team capable of running the football should look against Colorado. They were dominant all game long. So, still more to get to. Gosh, we're rolling along. These shows always go by so quickly, but thank you so much for tuning in. Today's show also brought to you by DoorDash, by the way. If you're missing the syrup for your pancakes or ran out of your favorite coffee creamer or creamer or you forgot the butter or something like that, guess what? DoorDash has got grocery delivery now. Yeah, if you love the convenience of getting what you want right to your door with DoorDash grocery delivery, you can stock up for the week or last-minute cravings convenient conveniently. You've trusted DoorDash to, to, to deliver your restaurant favorites, and now you can get grocery delivery that actually delivers too. Get 50% off your first DoorDash order up to a $20 value when you use code Locked On College at checkout. Limited time offer terms apply. That's 50% off up to $20, up to $20, no minimum subtotal, and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code Locked On College. Don't forget, that's code Locked On College for 50% off your first order with DoorDash. Pardon me for a moment. Mm, boy, we had some stumbles plugging DoorDash right there. Sometimes you just got to take a break. Sometimes you just need halftime to go in and whew, settle down, get a little pregame speech from the coach, just to, just relax, and then get fired up and get ready to go. Mailbag time. Uh, YouTube comments or Twitter, always open, at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. DMs and mentions available. If you want priority mailbag questions, Join the Locked On Ducks subtext community. Link in the description below wherever you're listening to or watching this show. A couple of questions from there. That be subtext, of course, hence the priority aspect. Did we expect the game to go this well for the defense? What impressed you most? Third down defense was shut down against one of the top third down teams in the country. The pass rush was really good, but frankly, it was the blanket coverage in the secondary that impressed me the most. And that that came up on third down. Also, I thought that we tackled in space exceptionally well, but I thought that the third down defense was really good because the coverage was so good. Like that was the best I have seen Oregon secondary look in a game start to finish against a capable receiving core. I mean, pick a game in 2019 in which they just utterly dominated. You know, maybe uh, Utah Pac-12 championship game 2019 at Levi's Stadium. That was a really, really good outing from the secondary. They had a couple of picks. They had some big fourth down stops. They made tackles. Like, they did a lot of things right. So 
I, I think the secondary's coverage, you know, led by Kyrie Jackson, but he was far from the only guy that that did exceptionally well in that department on Saturday. I, I think that's what led to the great third down defense is there was just nowhere to go with the football. And then that was complemented perfectly by the blitz schemes that we had. I thought Tosh Lupoy and Chris Hampton did an excellent job dialing them up when they needed to. I mean, Evan Williams coming off the edge and Tysheem Johnson, those guys are fast. Those, those, those guys are fast. And when they come off the edge, quarterbacks just don't have enough time. And if you can take away one read the way the secondary is capable of, or two reads, there isn't going to be enough time because the pressure is getting there. So it was that complimentary component that led to success on third down, which was just a refreshingly great thing to see. But I think the secondary was the most important thing. Should we have expected it though? I don't, I, no, no. I, I, I did not expect, did I expect Oregon's defense to be better than last year coming into the season? Yes. Did I expect they'd be able to hold one of the best passing offenses in the country through the first three weeks with an NFL quarterback to 159 yards and the starters not allow a single point? No. No, I I, I I did not expect that. And I don't think we should expect that for every team going forward because Colorado, impressive though they've been through the first three weeks, are still, as we saw, and as a lot of us knew going into the game, not as good as the passing attacks of Washington, of USC. Now, are they better than some of the ones Oregon will face this year? Absolutely. Like, it is not the worst offense Oregon's going to play this season. Colorado's got a better offense than Stanford, a better offense than Arizona State. I think probably a better overall offense than Cal because they're better at the quarterback position. They have a better passing attack probably than, you know, Utah with a backup quarterback, certainly, and Oregon State with, with DJU, who struggled at Pullman on, on Saturday evening. So I, I think that it was a really, really good showing. There will be bigger tests, but boy, that was that was an A+. plus. That was an A+. Plus. And, um, you know, my score prediction was 48-27. I had Oregon score almost nailed. I, I, I did not see that coming from the defense. I think it's a welcome, not shock, but just kind of gentle surprise of, okay, that's, you know, the best that we could have hoped for. And that's what it looked like. And hopefully that continues this season. Last one here from the subtext community. Spencer, I like the idea of conference relegation on the surface. I agree. What would be the potential impact on coaches' salaries? And would this just exacerbate the rich get richer and the poor get poorer for college sports. So the, the conference relegation model is being discussed in some capacity for the future of the PAC 212, whatever you want to call it, for Oregon State and Washington State and the Mountain West. The idea is that you have seven teams in the Mountain West and seven teams in the PAC 12. And then at the end of each year, the conference champion in the Mountain West gets promoted up to the pack where you play a higher caliber of teams and you get more money from the media rights deal. And then the last place team in the pack goes down, you know, it's the same sort of model they have over in the English Premier League for soccer. And I, I think that it's a good idea. I don't think that for coaches salaries, that particular model is going to have a great impact, at least not, you know, in the world that Oregon's going into, which is the Big Ten, because it's not going to exist over there. Like, it would be great. I, I would be here for it. It is not going to happen. The powers that be are, are too ingrained. You would be asking too many people to give up money, power, and influence. But, you know, in that specific context of the Pac Mountain West kind of, you know, dual merger and then the relegation model, I think the extra money would be largely tied to coaching salaries and bonuses. And that's where 
you know, you could have a baseline level of operating costs while still incentivizing schools and programs, specifically in football, to get up to the next level and stay there is make their contracts more valuable. But I mean, you know, the whole notion of would it exacerbate the rich get richer and the poor get poorer? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think so because that is only being discussed in a league where they're unfortunately in a poorer conference financially than what, you know, it, you know, it's not a power four. If it's not a power four going forward, the money is just way, way less. So I, I think for the Ducks who, you know, gave Dan Lanning an extension before the season, they were able to do that one way or the other. Like whether we were going to stay in the pack or go to the Big Ten, of course, we're going to the Big Ten next year. Yeah, that is, that, that's something that, was going to happen, I think, regardless, because Oregon's got the money for it. But I, I don't think it has a material impact on, you know, coaches' salaries other than the bonus structure. And um, I, I don't expect that Oregon will be playing in a uh, relegation model of any kind anytime soon because they're going to a conference where that's that's just not needed. So great questions. Keep them coming. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.